It's a real pleasure to be here with you this morning and to speak to you uh, at Tyndale. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been great uh, being here in our class already this week, uh, but also wonderful to take time to gather together to worship God and to look at a, a portion of God's Word. Uh, now, many of you may be aware, uh, or, or perhaps not aware, uh, that the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, of which I'm a part, is... Um, uh, we've, we've got an office here in Toronto, in Richmond Hill, and we've also got an office in, in, in Ottawa. And our mission as the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, or the EFC, is to unite evangelicals to bless Canada in the name of Jesus. And for those of you who know a little bit about the ministry, we have, we have many areas that we're involved in. But one of the ways in which we uh, do this, uh, in, uh, that we're particularly well known uh, at the EFC, is through our engagement with our political and judicial leaders. Um, uh, my Ottawa office is actually just three blocks away from Parliament and six blocks away from the Supreme Court. And so uh, I look out the window and I can just kind of see the tops of the towers of Parliament out my window. And as we're engaging with political and judicial leaders, uh, we do so on matters of public policy and law, on issues that affect the common good for the whole population, whether it's uh, Christians or not. And so we seek to be a, a nonpartisan voice, speaking biblical principles and biblical truth into the public square, where, where major decisions and judgments are made. And, and, and this is one way that we believe, one, just one way that we believe that we can seek to engage political powers and political authorities for the glory of God in our land. And so consequently, we, we often find ourselves on the occasion uh, sitting in an MP's office or a minister's office or perhaps attending a parliamentary hearing or perhaps uh, working on an intervention with a Supreme Court case. And so the EFC, for example, has been uh, before the Supreme Court as an intervener 30 times in the last uh, 25 or 30 years. So g given this part of our work and part of our engagement as the EFC, you won't be too surprised to find out that we at the EFC, and, and, and I personally, am a firm believer that Christians can and should be involved in the political process. Too often Christians think that the only way to be involved politically is either to enter politics itself and become a member of parliament or, or an, an MPP or work for a political party of some sort, or, of course, by voting in an election. And both, of, both of those things are very good things that we should be encouraging. But is that the only way that we as Christians can be engaged politically in the political process? And so, in the portion of Scripture that was just read from 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, I want to point, us, point something out there that there is something vitally important that every single Christian, no matter what your political persuasion or your political theology, that every one of us can agree on in terms of Christian engagement in the political pro process. And Paul introduces us to what I believe is the most important politically focused practice that we can be engaged in. And you might be surprised to find out that that political practice is prayer. Prayer. So let's look briefly at the passage, 1 uh, Timothy chapter 2, that was read. Paul starts out and he says, I, I urge you then, first of all, 
that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Now, we, we don't have time to go into what are all these things, prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings and so on. Uh, but certainly, Paul also says that these are for all people, prayers for, for all kinds of people. And I, I do remember, as a, when, when my youngest daughter, I remember once uh, praying at her bedside one night, and I said, okay, it's time for us to pray. And I said, do you want to pray? She was probably about, you know, seven or eight years old. And, and she said, sure. And so she said, dear Lord, be with everyone. Amen. And I thought, well, at first you kind of think that's kind of a bit of a simplistic prayer, but actually that's what Paul says. He says, I want prayers to be made for everyone, for all people, everywhere. But more importantly to this passage, Paul says, first of all. Now, when you see the word first of all, you would kind of expect that Paul is going to give us a bit of a list of things. Here's some priorities, number one, number two, number three. But if you read through the rest of the passage, you'll find there's no number two. It's just first of all which means that technically the translation would probably be better, the word is protos, would probably be better translated something like, above everything else that you do, let prayers, requests, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. The word here is is pointing to the fact that prayer is the Christian's first priority. Sometimes we can take prayer and too easily forget that prayer is not just preamble. Prayer is not just preamble to the work that we undertake. And I think sometimes we view it too flippantly. It's something that we quickly do before we eat, which we should and can, or before we start that really important board meeting or committee meeting or church meeting, which we should, or perhaps before we go to bed at night. These are all good. But the word in here suggests that prayer is not just the first in a list of things to do. Rather, it means it is a top priority that above everything else we should be praying. Now, of course, praying isn't all that Christians do. We, we have to work. We, we have to prepare our meals for our families. We prepare our taxes. We worship together. We gather together to worship. We teach our children right from wrong. We teach them from the scriptures. We tell and show others the the love of Jesus that that he has for them. And Paul here, I can kind of hear him saying, you know, I know you're busy. I know you're busy serving the Lord. I know you're busy serving your family. I know you're busy serving your church and serving your community. That's all good. But above all else, he says... Be sure to pray. For whatever reason, and I I, I confess, I don't fully understand it. For whatever reason, God has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. We can debate that theologically about how it is that God uses prayer, but the fact is he does use it. The book of James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so let's never forget that in all of our efforts of strategizing, planning, and working, none, all of this would be for naught if it were not for prayer. But Paul goes on. So in the first verse, he says, I want prayers to be made for everyone. And that's a pretty broad, broad thing. But Paul goes on in verse 2, and he becomes a little bit more specific. And there he says, 
pray for kings and all of those in authority. And he follows that up in verses 3 and 4 by saying, this kind of praying is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, Paul says that praying for everyone and, and more specifically praying for the king's And for all of those in authority, and the text seems to indicate those who have governing authority, our political leaders, Paul is saying, this is a good thing. This is good. Because God wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the saving, the the knowledge of the truth. Paul uses the word all seven times in this short passage. He has this universal scope of concern of the gospel. The gospel is Catholic, and, and that, what that means, it's wonderful saying that in this building. Now, the, the, the gospel is Catholic, and what that means is not, not just simply Roman Catholic, but it means that it pertains to the entire inhabited world and to the, all of the structures and people and nations of this world. But when Paul wrote this, surely he must have known who the king was when he wrote this. Indeed, he did. In fact, when Paul wrote this, probably the emperor was a man by the name of Nero. And for those of you who know a little bit of church history in the early first century, we know that Nero wasn't a friend of either Jews or Christians. And yet Paul, the apostle, the follower of the Jewish follower of Jesus Christ, asks and implores his readers, pray for the king. Pray for Caesar. Pray for Emperor Nero. Who knows? Maybe even Nero may come to know Christ. It can be tempting for us to think that somehow, in some way, we are relieved of praying for leaders who may not favor us and our Christian beliefs. And especially that we're relieved for praying for those leaders who might even deny God or mock his reality. And we certainly know that many people around this globe are under such situations. But Paul knows Nero does not like Christians. And yet he says, pray for him anyways. That means that in our context, we don't have a king. We do have a queen, but certainly in Canada here, we have a prime minister, we have MPs, we have premiers, we have mayors, we have these political authorities who are, are there uh, in their offices, and God says that they're there for our, for our good. This means that as we, as the Christian community and as the Christian church, pray privately and perhaps more importantly, corporately for our prime minister and our premier and our ministers, and our MPs and MPPs, these are all good and pleasing to God our Savior. But, but why? Why does this please God? Why does prayer for the king and for the political authorities please God? Elsewhere in, in Romans chapter 13, Paul says that the governing authorities are there because God has instituted them. 
Therefore, it seems uh, that God is pleased when we pray for these authorities because in so doing, we acknowledge that they are under God's authority. To pray for them is to acknowledge they're under the authority. And so as we pray for the authorities, we, we need to pray and do so with a genuine desire that these authorities would lead and govern with wisdom, with guidance from God. We should pray that they would lead the country in such a way that all of us, whether we're Christians or not, could live in peace and quietness, as, as he says in verse 2. For, pray for all those kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We should be praying for peace in the land. We should be, pray, be praying for peace in the international situations. We should be praying for the peace talks that are going on in North and South Korea. These are elements of prayer that please God, our Savior, who wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. The more we pray for them, the more we acknowledge the sovereignty and the goodness of God who puts these leaders in their place, even if and when we might not like them. Which leads us really to the third point from this passage, and that is this. Praying, and I've kind of intimated this already, but praying for the political authorities puts them in their proper place. As I mentioned, Romans 13 tells us that political authorities are there for our good. God has instituted the political authorities for our good. But, but sometimes political authorities move beyond the spheres of responsibility that they have been given by God. They move into areas that should be left to others. They Certainly, politicians and political leaders want to help. They want to solve problems, to build a better society. But sometimes they, there's a temptation to act as if they have the answers, as if they can solve the problems that they really can't solve, or to think that they can determine that which is right and good for all people. Which is why Paul then goes on in verse 5, and he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and between God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and humans, the man Jesus. What does this mean? In light of the temptation of political leaders or governments to view themselves as the source of societal goodness, as the source of social capital, as the source of social goodness in our society and in our country and in our countries, Paul clearly says, no, there is only one source of goodness, and that is from God the Father himself. James here reminds us again, every good and perfect gift comes down from our Heavenly Father, who does not change like shifting shadows or shifting political parties. Paul also tells us there's only one person, one mediator, by which we receive God's good gifts. And there is only one person, and that one person is the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Political authorities are placed there by God under the authority of Jesus Christ. 
the one to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given, as Matthew 28 tells us. Therefore, to to pray for the political authorities reminds us, and certainly as we do it publicly and corporately, also reminds our political authorities as well of their proper place, that they too are under Christ's sovereign rule to do what God has called them to do as political leaders. I've had the privilege of, of starting to meet some of these, these uh, leaders, political leaders on, uh, on the Hill in Ottawa. And, and I, I, I can tell you that most of the political leaders so far, if not all of them that I have met, are, are there because they really want to, to do good. They, they want to make good laws. They want to develop programs and policies that help their communities and help Canadians. And they have a tough job. Uh, as I've gotten to know some of these MPs, I've, I've just discovered how hard it is on their, their personal lives and their families, not to mention they're almost like pastors. There's always, they're always being critiqued by someone. And so leaders need our prayers they and their families and their staff. And you know what? Leaders need to, net, get, need to get to know you, at least some of us. Get to know them. Meet with them. Encourage them. Give them ideas of how best to help your community. Help them represent you well. I was at a parliamentary breakfast. Uh, this was before I was at the FC. A number of years ago, I, was on the, I, I served almost 10 years on the EFC board. And we had a parliamentary breakfast, uh, cross-party um, members uh, fr- uh, joining us to talk to us about faith and politics. And I remember one of the prominent leaders who had been an MP for 25 years uh, got, up, got up and spoke a little bit about his experiences as a believer and uh, his work in politics and his engagement with the Canadian church. And it was heart-wrenching and heartbreaking for me to hear how few times in the 25 years he received a letter or a phone call or a visit of encouragement from a Christian. And more heartbreaking than that was how often the most vicious letters he received were from the Christian community, critiquing him, condemning him, for perhaps some of the stances that he was taking. This doesn't mean we have to agree with them. By all means, let them know when we think that they're straying from biblical truth. Let them know if we think that they are out of line. But do so with respect. And by all means, let them know that you're praying for them. Let them know. As we do this, as we engage our political leaders, our first task is still to pray. The best way, and I'm still learning this, folks, but the best way to keep yourself from being frustrated by the decisions of political leaders that we may feel are unjust or unwise is to pray for them. Remembering that even when they do things opposed to our faith, they are instituted and put there by God. And God is pleased when we pray for them. Let us never forget Paul's, first of all, pray. As we pray for our authorities, we are reminded that they, like us, are also under God's sovereign rule. 
and God's will. And God will and does use them to bring about his kingdom. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so to close, can I ask you to stand up as we, uh, as I say, a closing prayer uh, to our reflections this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you asking that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, we acknowledge the leaders that you have instituted in our nation. We pray, O Lord, for our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. We pray for our premiers across the country, our mayors, and all those who hold public office. We pray that for the sake of your kingdom and for your glory, that these would all carry out their duties with wisdom, with discernment, and with good judgment. We pray that those who have bowed their knee to Christ our Lord, that they would minister with purity, integrity, and good conscience. And for those who do not know you, we pray that by your Spirit too, they would come to a knowledge of the truth. And finally, Lord, we pray that your church would live in unity, in the power of the Spirit, and with the aroma of Christ amidst the people of our communities. Guide us, O our great Jehovah, that we would be salt and light, even in the midst of what appears to be a preference for darkness. Thank you that you've heard our prayers, God Almighty. We pray this in the powerful and authoritative name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.